If you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, Genesis chapter 12. We we started in Genesis chapter well, we started Genesis chapter 12 and and pretty much st- stuck there. But just with the first few verses last time, we're looking at uh, Abraham's call, um, and we looked at a, a variety of different aspects. I think of that call, uh, focusing in on the fact that. Uh, Abraham's call is a picture of of our call, and it begins. It doesn't. It doesn't end with or, or somewhere in the middle. It begins with a demand to leave his country, kindred, and father's house. <clears throat> in other words, what we call salvation is an exodus. It's also an entrance into something else. Uh, and both of those elements are right there in the beginning of, of of that chapter. Abraham is such a crucial picture. All all the authors of the New Testament refer to him and refer to him in in uh, as a picture. Uh, I mean, as a type and shadow in a lot of different ways. Especially Paul in his letter to Romans and, and the Galatians as well, chapter three. But Jesus too talked about Abraham in that way. But uh, <clears throat> but as much as Christianity in general tries to make, um, well, as much as the church tries to make Christianity an attempt to bring God down into what we call life and earth and whatever, right here and in so many other stories like this, we see that from God's perspective, Christianity isn't about God coming down and being the private lord of my personal life and situations it is actually a call out of what i call my life and my country my kindred my father's house that is to say the the place the realm i call home the the relationships that that i know in the flesh and, and the inheritance that i have in this realm all of that is part of what you leave behind actually when you're born again now, now people think about new birth as though it is the you know just the forgiveness of sin or we 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 always minimize it in some way or another you know now Jesus is my life coach or Jesus is you know whatever but the 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 reason we do that isn't isn't just um wrong ideas or bad teaching the reason we do that is because there's something very attractive oops uh, to the natural man about that kind of idea. And, 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 and what's attractive about it is the idea that man can still live his life in his realm with his priorities and his everything. And somehow, and we call that, that environment, we call it our life. You know, we, we have the people we know, the things that we do, the places we're familiar with, the, the, the world that we call our world and the life that we call our life. And then Christianity is is presented to us as a way to kind of bring God into what we call life, and then we're told to uh, to, to 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 give Him uh, priority there. I mean, we, we first we invite Him in, and we're told that you know things will be better, things will be blessed, things will be. Um, uh, I don't know, you know, depending on what kind of church you go to, there's different versions of that, but. <clears throat> And then we're told to put God first among those things uh, in the environment that constitutes what we call life. And that's just really messed up. I mean, and you see it, you don't just see it right here with Abraham. You see it, you see it, as I mentioned, I mentioned a bunch of stories last week, too, I mean, in the Old, in the old Covenant, uh, where you see that, that this whole thing begins with an exodus. I mean, maybe the clearest picture is, is uh, Israel leaving Egypt, but th- it's not just that. It's you know Abraham, it's Lot, it's Ruth, it's um, or not, yeah, Ruth, um, and I mean, th- there's we're going to see a bunch of these stories where the where the beginning of the journey is leaving one world to come into and experience another one. That has to be revealed to us, and that's how Genesis chapter twelve starts. Get out of everything you've ever known, your country, kindred, and family, your country, your family, your father's house, to a land that I will show you. It has to be shown by the Lord, and that's kind of what we focused on. Those two, I think, if I remember correctly, 
aspects were the main focuses of what we were talking about last time. There's an exodus it, 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 immediately from God's whether it's our perspective or not. When we are born again, we are made alive with Christ, raised with Christ, and seated with Christ in heavenly places. That may sound like some kind of mystical, abstract concept to the natural mind, but to the measure that he shows us where he placed us, it becomes a present, real experience of the soul. Okay, And we noticed, and in, 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 uh, I'm reviewing just a little bit because we're going to go on with Abraham, but we noticed that in verse 5, Genesis 12, 5, we have the f- presented to us the fact that the actual journey takes only one-third of one verse of, of your Bible. It says here, they departed to go to the land of Canaan, and they came to the land of Canaan. Boom, that's it, verse 5. And, and what I was trying to point out with that is, again, from God's point of view, getting them from one place to the other isn't the journey. God immediately makes you alive with his son, as uh, Colossians one thirteen says, trans translates you out of the kingdom of darkness and and deposits you immediately in the kingdom of his son of his the son of his love it's a finished work and you come into that finished work immediately but the rest of the 12 chapters that involve abraham's life have to do and we're going to look at this today with getting him to stay where god has put him to lift up his eyes and see where god has put him to leave behind things that don't belong that 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 don't belong with him where god has put him and to to walk and experience the width and the depth and the breadth of what where god has put him that's the rest of the journey but the finished work is over in in one third of one verse you know, and that's how it was with the Exodus uh, too. That's I mean, with Israel, it didn't take them forty years to get out of Egypt. You know, it took them one night, where God struck, you know, ju- judged the firstborn and judged uh, Israel on the lamb, and then they went out. You know, then the next, when the light came up of, of a new day, they they left, and, uh, and and then there was forty years in their heart of not being able to leave behind what God had already separated from them. And that's exactly, friends, that is exactly our journey as well. That is what God is, you know, people say, what is God trying to get me to do? You know, we're always focused on all these different, again, we have this version of of Christianity that involves bringing him in to our, what we call life, sitting him on our shoulder like this little angel and trying to get instructions on how he wants us to uh, wash our car. And, and, uh, and it's just not, I mean, that's, that's like a, a genie in a bottle type relationship with with God. That's a figment of our imagination. God has brought you out in His Son, placed you, planted you in the death of His Son, raised you in the resurrection of His Son, and seated you. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's where you are. It doesn't matter where your body is. Your body could be. It doesn't matter even if your body's alive. Your natural body could be dead. It's still the same reality. Your soul has been placed in the Son of God, hidden with Christ in God. Now, are you going to be like Abraham and learn and grow in faith and learn to possess his inheritance? Or are you going to do, well, what Abraham, he doesn't doesn't really nail it right away, just like we don't. First thing he does is take off. But... Uh, <clears throat> But but the journey. I want you to. I just really want to hit this hard. I want to hit it. I kind of wanted to hit it again this before we got going into the the newer stuff today. The journey is 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 God showing your heart what He's already done and causing you to live in the good of it. Christians are really really confused about the journey. I say that because there's huge sections of like Christian living in in, in, in bookstores that focus on the you know there's five steps and seven steps and three keys and you know I mean there's all these different things that we read about that have to do with how to you know reach our spiritual potential or get the fullness of God's blessing or whatever and, and very rarely do you find one that has to do with what we see right here and. And in and, and, and Genesis chapter 12, it's an immediate exodus followed by the revelation of where you are. That's the journey. And that revelation of where you are is going to mean so much to your heart. I mean, it's going to mean, it's going to mean separating in your heart. It's, be, it's going to mean becoming dead in your heart to what, what God has left behind. 
And if you don't think that's a big deal, then you don't really know what that means yet. And that's not a crime, but, but you need to let the Lord show you. <clears throat> it's a big deal to, to, to have the Lord's perspective become your own. And, uh, in so many ways that, you know, that, that can't even really be described. But, okay. So God begins to talk to Abraham. Tells him to get out, tells him to go to a land. And he begins to talk to him about this great blessing right away here in chapter 12. This blessing, this name, this great name, an increase, you know, uh, a victory. Not all of these aspects are, are in this particular chapter, but the Lord kind of restates the blessing or the inheritance. I think those are pretty much synonymous. Um, that that are bound up with Abraham and his seed over and over again from here all, all the way through uh, chapter I don't know at least twenty two I'd have to think about it but um, and uh, and yet you see that the blessing as you go on the the, the things that he's promising to Abraham are a hundred percent tied to the increase and the greatness of his seed. Everything that Abraham is going to inherit is is tied to the seed. There's, put, let me put it this way. There's nothing for Abraham without the seed. There's absolutely nothing that's not connected to the seed. Now, we have to learn that too because every aspect of your inheritance and blessing is a living participation in the one who is the seed, Christ himself. You are a joint heir with him. You become the seed of Abraham by faith and, and by participation in him, the one who is the seed. But you don't, you got, now this, this may seem like a strong statement, but, but, but just think about it for a little bit, okay? God doesn't ever give you anything as yours. But, he gives you everything that he is and has as his. He lets you participate, experience, inherit, and know, live in the fullness of everything that he is. It's, it's still his, but you're invited in. You're allowed to participate in that reality. In other words, he doesn't like take these little things called spiritual blessings and just like something separate from himself and give it to you and say that's yours. Now do what you want with it. You know, it's no. He is the blessing. He is the inheritance. He he is the exceedingly great reward. And and he invites you into himself. And so when when you when you start to see these things, we're starting. You know, right here in chapter 12, I'm going to talk more about the specifics of the blessing and the inheritance when we get to a, a longer list of these things later on. But uh, th these aren't Abraham's personal promises for for his own personal greatness. And I, and I know I'm not again. I, I never. <clears throat> I, I'm not never trying to like pick on, you know, uh, the church or anything. I, I love the church. I just it's just. Sometimes it's an easy target because we're, we're so creative. I put myself in this camp too. We are so creative in our ways, in the ways that we take, we try to take, separate from Christ the things that are Christ and apply them to ourselves. You know, I mean, there's so many blessings and promises that are yes and amen in Christ as Christ. And every single one of them becomes the experience of your soul of Christ of something that he is and something that he has made unto you. Christ, you know, 1 Corinthians one thirty. Christ is made unto you wisdom, righteousness, redemption, sanctification. He is the substance of it, but he's made unto you that reality. And yet we separate from Christ those things and try to apply them to ourselves. And I don't know about you guys, but I, I remember I used to have this like little embarrassing journal or something that was like full of these little I'd written down all these little promises that I thought God had made to me about my life about my future about my purpose about all, all independent of Christ it all had to do with natural stuff and natural I don't know ministry stuff and it was all gross and um <clears throat> and that's and I, I want you to realize that right from the beginning Abraham's greatness Abraham's victory Abraham's promise all of it was related to the seed and the increase of the seed. Abraham did not have, he would not have had a single thing were it not for the fact that the seed and the greatness of the seed became all that all that God had promised him. All right, and that's how it is with us. 
Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about. Okay, so so <clears throat> if you if you keep reading in Genesis chapter twelve, the you you see he goes to the land, and then um, in verse eight he builds the altar to the Lord, and and. Um, and the altars we mentioned a little bit about are are important. I I kind of see the altar. The, the altar to me is always kind of a picture of the, the the work of the cross and the believer in a lot of ways. Whether it's here, um, <clears throat> I mean, you can see it really clearly in some places, like um, like when he sacrifices Isaac on the altar, or almost does. You know, clearly you're you're looking at a picture of the cross there. But uh, and, and I don't think there's anyone that would uh, ever argue with that. Uh, I mean, it's just too obvious, and Hebrews says it's that anyway. So, but uh, <clears throat> but but the alt, but he the Lord appears to him, and he he builds these altars, and and to me, I see these altars as as like I, like I just said, the, the the kind of the the working of the cross or the experience of the cross working in Abraham, in, in such a way that what doesn't belong there is removed, and what what what. What does belong? It's kind of, the cross is always doing kind of two things. It's always taking away the first and establishing the second. And I kind of see that that's what that's what's working in Abraham. That's also what the tabernacle shows us too. The altars in the tabernacle they're they're always removing one thing and offering to God another. You know, and then that's a that's without a doubt that's a picture of um, the the ongoing present working of the cross in in the midst of God's people. And we'll get there one day or one year when we get to um, Exodus and Leviticus. But um, So anyway, he builds an altar to the Lord. But then, and it says this in verse 10, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. Um, and then you know this story. Uh, you, probably, you probably know this story because it appears three times in the in the book of Genesis, twice with Abraham, and apparently because uh, he never quite got the picture, <laughs> his son Isaac does the exact same thing with his wife Rebecca. So Abraham does it twice here. I think it's in verse twenty. I mean, chapter twenty does it again, and then and then afterwards Isaac tries to pull this off too, where he goes down. It doesn't always say Egypt. Sometimes it says like the Negev or something, which is like uh, down south in the Egyptian territory, but. But uh, here, here he goes, and he goes down there. And um, now, let me just say before I start making comments about this, I, I don't. Uh, this isn't something that I, that I feel like I've. How do I want to say this? Um, I, I don't feel like I've seen this super clearly, or, or or that I have a great understanding of of what this means. It, honestly, it's driven me crazy before because it happens three times, and you know, if it happens three times, the same exact weird story. About them going to eat, you know, the story is Abraham goes to Egypt. He says to his wife, um, you know, if, if here, here's how you can show love for me. Um, basically, say you're my sister, not my wife, and 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 he give basically lets his wife goes go into the hands of the Egyptian leaders, and and almost uh, be you know united to them or married to them or whatever, and then God kind of has to intervene and uh, get him. First of all, get Sarah back to him, or get his wife back to him, and then get him back to the land. So then he goes back to the land, and uh, so that's kind of what happens. And it happens. The fact that it happens three times, and and, and I never, you know, I, I can't say that I've ever really seen, um, with any real sure, sh- surety or clarity or cl- whatever the word is, uh, exactly how to understand this. But but I can tell you how. What what my heart f- thinks about, you know, I mean, there's some places where I feel like I've seen, you know, there's a difference. There's a difference between really kind of having the Lord make something appear in your heart, and it's so clear, and it's so real. In the Old Testament, you see a type and shadow. It's something the Lord's dealing with your heart about in, in spirit and truth, and there's the picture of it, and it's so clear. This is, you know, I can't say that this is one of those things, but it, but it certainly is something that the way I'm going to describe it to you tonight don't take me too seriously, but at the same time, whether it's exactly what um, the Lord intends us to see with this story or not, I think what I'm going to share is still a true um, application of it. So I'm going to share it nonetheless. Um, the way the way I see this is that 
the first thing okay Abraham Abraham is called out of something promised something great he he leaves behind everything he's had and and yet the first thing he experiences in this land that God's promised him from a natural point of view from his own I guess his, his own fleshly perspective is is not good. It's it's a famine, and the first thing his heart does is it goes to Egypt. Now Egypt, in almost every case, I can think of one exception, but uh, e- Egypt throughout the Old Testament is uh, seems seems al- almost always represent kind of like the earth or the land of sin and death or the land of slavery or you know it's the place the heart goes that can't see the Lord. You, you have the Israelites, for instance being set free from Egypt, but always walking around with their hearts set on Egypt, trying to go back to Egypt, longing for Egypt with the leeks and garlic and flesh pots and all that stuff. And then at, at, the, at, the, um, um, at, at the border of the land, they, you know, they refuse to go in and say, let us appoint for ourselves a leader to take us back to Egypt. I mean, their hearts are they're always going back there and then you know it's kind of the same thing in the in the prophets a lot of times the kings of Israel are making these treaties and looking for Egypt instead of looking to the Lord for help they they're always talking about making treaties with Egypt or going you know leaning on the the staff of Egypt and and the prophets are always uh <clears throat> criticizing them for for doing that and anyway i kind of see Egypt in the same in the same way here um he 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 leaves the land that God has given to him and he he heads to Egypt for you know for a solution, and um, and to me, I guess the thing that strikes me about this is that that's what I do um, in so many ways, and 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 I think that's that's what I see people do. We we've come into Christ, and 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 we've really been brought into Christ. You know, we're believers, and maybe we we've really even begun to see Christ, and yet. In, in so many instances, our heart so quickly turns back to the natural realm, the earth, the world of slavery and death. And we turn there for solutions. We turn there for life. Uh, and uh, we, we turn there looking for what we don't think is in the land. You know, and, and 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 there's lots of reasons we do that, and I, I could give you a shopping list of reasons I do that. But you know, some something in this journey of faith uh, maybe doesn't doesn't seem like what we expected, or it's not what we thought, or uh, or the inheritance that God is supposed to be showing us. Maybe it maybe it's not in the realm that we were expecting. Maybe it's not. Not even in the, 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 not even according to the man that we had in mind, the kind of man, the Adamic man, or, or maybe, um, you know, just the fact that it's all Christ and it's all in Christ. That's that's offensive. That's that's not what we thought. We thought that, you know, there's there's so many different ways that that we could that what God has called us to and called us into. Um, is uncomfortable for us. In some way, it feels uncomfortable, and 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 our eyes fall back to the earth, or maybe <clears throat> maybe the cross. Maybe it's just you start to you know the cross sounds like a nice idea. Uh, it, it seems like a a good thing to lose. You, you know, mostly in in the beginning, you relate you relate the cross to the loss or the death of the things that you don't like about yourself. Or the things that you've struggled with, but then with a little bit more light, you begin to see the cross cuts a whole lot more away than what you don't like about yourself. It cuts away the good and the bad. It cuts away what you like and what you don't like. It it removes the entire man, the whole Adamic man, together with his desires and deeds. It it doesn't doesn't leave the best of the flesh. It it removes all of it, and and maybe maybe that's why. Maybe there's some some something in that. It it becomes uncomfortable. It becomes awkward. It becomes not what you thought. Disappointed. Whatever. And 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 the heart begins to turn. And this could happen 15 times in 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 a in a day. You know, the heart's gaze can fall to the earth. 
like what uh, you know it brings to mind what Jesus talked about in some of his parables. You know, s- seeds that that begin to grow, they, they find some soil and they begin to grow, but then something, you know, the worries, the cares of the earth, something starts to um, to choke out the life of the seed or cause it to um, discontinue its growth, its journey. The rocks make it a little bit too uncomfortable, too hard to grow. You know, it's hard to get a root down there. And, and uh, you know, I've just noticed, I was talking to, to, to my wife about it earlier um, th- this evening, just, it's just, um, it's, it's easier to start this journey than it is to continue. You know, I've talked about this before, but, you know, it, it takes one kind of heart to run to God with Pharaoh chasing you, wanting to kill you. It takes another kind of heart to follow the Lord into the promised land for his purpose and for his glory. Those are two two very different things. And, and the Lord, the whole way, is trying to bring your heart from the one to the other, you know? He, he knows you start with this carnal, man-centered, flesh-centered, blind heart. Everyone does. He doesn't expect that, you know, a baby is, is born with much understanding of his realm or the life that he has. But, I guess, I don't know a better way to say it. It's just, it's easy to, it's, it's easier to start this journey than it is to keep going because, because keeping going is always a confrontation with the flesh. Well, it's a confrontation with the cross that 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 first of all exposes something and 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 then and then it cuts it off and uh, and and that it never stops. It doesn't ever stop. It don't you don't ever get to the place where that ceases to happen in your heart that you don't ever get to the place where all flesh is removed and now it's pure spirit i mean there's so much it's a bottomless pit of of unrenewed mind and adamic thinking that needs to be removed from the heart and i'm not saying it doesn't get in some ways it doesn't get easier it it does i mean there's 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 rest in it and there's joy in it but at the same time the cross just has so much work to do there's always another altar that needs to go up in the land. Another time where the Lord deals with your heart and says, lift up your eyes again and look, see where you are. And there's so many reasons to, to turn back. You know, there's so many there's so many reasons to take a little detour to Egypt for a few days or a few years or for the rest of your life. M- many do it. You know, there's there's always these natural... I was thinking, I, was, I think I was talking to Ryan the other day about... Elijah and, and Elisha, <clears throat> Elijah and Elisha. Eli- you know, Elisha was following uh, uh, following Elijah. Elijah's about to be taken up, and uh, and, and Elijah just keeps giving Elisha these uh, legitimate opportunities to stop following him, to stop fixing his eyes on him, to stop going where he goes. You know, and the, I think it's a picture of the church and Christ and. The, the church, I'm pretty certain it is, uh, the, the, the church pursuing the view, the knowing of Christ, and, and especially the view of him raised up, the view of the heavenly view. And that's, that's ultimately how Elisha gets the, the spirit that's upon Elijah, is when he see, says, if you see me, raised up if you see me lifted up if you see me when i'm in the heavens then you then you'll know that the spirit that's upon me is 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 upon you and and ultimately that's fulfilled with us in the church you know that heavenly view that if we see him if we if we truly see him raised up lifted up and and don't go searching for him in the earth like the rest of the prophets did then you walk in what he then, then he doesn't he's not actually gone Anyway, my point is that I'm getting ahead of myself or going off on some tangent, but Elijah kept giving Elisha all of these opportunities to stop following. And uh, I don't think he wanted him to stop following. But there was always, you know, here, stop here. I'm going to go on to Bethel. Or I'm going to go on to the Jordan. or I'm going to whatever. And, 
And Elisha just kept saying, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. You know, so he goes to the, it reminds me of Jesus, you know, someone says, hey Jesus, I want to go wherever you go and I want to I be your disciple. And Jesus says, you know, obviously Jesus wanted the guy to be his disciple, but, but he, he replies with, foxes have holes, uh, birds have nests, the Son of Man has no place to, you know, or the other guy comes and says, you know, what must I do? And Jesus sends him away sad by telling him something that he that he's not willing to do. And, and and again, it's it's not in either case, whether with Elijah or with Jesus or 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 uh or with Abraham and the famine in the land, you know, it the uh the the heart of the Lord is never that we retreat or we turn back, but it seems like there's always these um, almost, almost legitimate reasons to uh, to not continue, and that's kind of how I see. That's kind of how I see these journeys to to Egypt. Um, I, I think, you know, usually, and this is where I get kind of confused with the whole wife issue because usually the the wife, it seems to me, in the majority of this of the story, starting back in um, the garden, the wife kind of represents the the bride or the church or Israel, you know, and the thing that, that God creates out from himself, in other words, uh, Adam, you know, came out, Eve came out from Adam's side and then is given back to, to, to Adam as, as his own increase in glory. And, um, and in so many ways, God speaks of Israel in that same way, in a type and shadow kind of way. And the church becomes that reality. And you see pictures of that all throughout the Old Testament, in a lot of different ways. Um, some in very specific ways, like the Song of Solomon. Um, some in just general allusions to this or that. Um, and so, I, I usually, and then and then Paul, you know, just in case you were, you know, not sure about that, Paul seems to c- confirm that in a number of places, especially like Ephesians chapter five, where he talks says that from the very beginning, Adam and Eve were a picture of Christ and the church. So, so um, that's that's generally how I see. Um, the wife, and that just didn't make sense. I, I tried to make that work, and, and 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 maybe it does. Maybe it still does, and I'm just missing it, you know. I, and that's very possible. But but I, when I, I just looking at this story, kind of, um, and seeing my own experience, I started to think about the the uh, the wife, whether it's Sarah or Rebecca, when Isaac does it kind of representing the love or the heart of Abraham or Isaac, the the heart that's given over to Egypt, the heart that's that's mixed in with with the land of Egypt. The, you know, because that's what happens each time is that the, the earth or the world takes what amounts to his you know, his heart, his love. And and the world has plans for his heart and the world wants to mix together with his heart and the Lord has to intervene so that this doesn't happen each time it's the same thing and and you see Abraham I, I, Abraham is clearly operating out of um, self-love and self-protection you know he's thinking of how he can survive how, how he can end up good and, and without any thought to what he's giving his heart to what he's giving his wife to you know it's here's how remember how he says here's how here's how you can show your love for me you know let them do this to you let them take you so that i can keep living and that's what he that's what they all say you know and that's not that's that can't be good it can't be a good thing i don't know you know again i can't be dogmatic about this but it doesn't look like that's a very good thing and so quickly she becomes um the property of egypt and if God wouldn't have intervened, then, well, they probably would have stayed in Egypt and, and his heart would have remained, or his wife would have remained property of Egypt and bound to Egypt and maybe in covenant with uh, Pharaoh, you know? I mean, the uh, in a marriage covenant connected to that realm that, they, that, that as far as God was concerned, Abraham did not belong in anymore. So God does. He comes and intervenes and he, and he gets, uh, <clears throat> he gets Abraham... Well, first he gets the wife back to him, and pretty soon they're they're right back in the land. Now, if you go to um, chapter thirteen, now 
then then well it, uh, just to wrap up that first part i guess that that's really all i all i had to say about that that's really kind of what what i feel like i i i don't know i don't want to i don't want to say it too strongly but uh that's definitely what the lord has kind of at least used those scriptures to deal with my heart about i'll put it that way but in the next chapter if you flip over to chapter 13 it's in verse four, verse thirteen four. He got, he goes back to the to the uh, the place where he had built the altar at first, and Abraham calls on the name of the Lord. Now this next this next part, I'm going to read some of this because um, to me this is another picture of an important picture of how the Lord is dealing with Abraham. First, again, it's to kind of review. First, he brings him into the land. And that work is over. Abraham then takes his own little blinded detour, gives his heart to something else. God brings him back to the exact same place, to the exact same altar where he was before. And it's almost like God uh, just kind of picks up where he left off and is, is trying to deal with him again. Now there's this other problem that he has brought Lot with him. Um, something that's I think is is clear, especially from this chapter here, that he should never have brought with him to begin with. It was part of what part of the kindred that he was supposed to have left behind. And so, with that in mind, let's read some of this here. It says, uh, thirteen in thirteen five, Lot also who went with Abraham had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. <clears throat> and the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abraham said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I'll go to the right. If you take the right, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plain of the Jordan that it was well watered everywhere. And this was before, it says in parentheses, the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abraham, well then it says this little thing about, uh, well, I'll keep reading. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord and the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had separated from him lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are that, that's a very key sentence there lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are northward southward, eastward, westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And then he goes on to describe more of the the increase. I will make your descendants, I will make your seed, is that word in Hebrew, as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your seed also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abraham moved his tent and went and dwelt by the uh, terebinth trees in, of Mamre, which are in Hebron, <clears throat> and he built an altar there to the Lord. He's, so once again, he He's building an altar. All right. Well, this is several times in uh, in the last several years. The Lord has brought up this chapter to me because, uh, well, I believe because it just paints a, a very good and clear picture of several things. First of all, the the way that the cross works in our heart, the experience of the cross. With, by, by faith, by the by the mind of Christ, the light of the of the Lord working in our heart, we always experience uh, this same reality where the where the cross takes away from us something that God has already separated from Himself, and it establishes what God has established. The cross in the light we see. 
what doesn't belong and we see what does belong and that's how that's why every time you see something clearly in the light of the lord there's this division it goes deeper into your heart a division between old and new a division between flesh and spirit a division between adam and christ and and as you see as you as you turn your heart to the lord and you see something in his light there's always this experience it's all the, the cross has two sides it's one reality it's one salvation but it has two sides and the two sides are the removal of what isn't and the establishing of what is okay it's like uh you know sometimes i compare it to like waking up from a uh from a nightmare or something like that the fact is that you are safe in your room in your bed that's the fact. But in the dream, you're being, I don't know, attacked by a shark or something, and so you're terrified. But to the measure that you wake up, to the measure that you see the truth, and you'll wake to the light, awake to reality, to that degree, the, the, the shark attack is removed from your heart, is cut off from your heart. You're separated from, from the, the experience of what has no place in your bed. I mean, there's no shark in your bed. And, and yet you're you're terrified and you're sweating and you're you're you know turning back and forth and shouting out loud. The cross does that. It's like waking up in Christ, seeing a new creation, and letting the cross remove from your heart what God has already removed from Himself. That's what it's like. You know, the Scripture says, "Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead." And Christ will give you light. I think Paul's using a similar kind of metaphor when he's when he when he says that you're waking up from a long Adamic slumber. You're you're seeing. You're rubbing your eyes, and you're seeing the finished work of the cross. And to the measure that you see it, what is there becomes more real, and what doesn't belong there is constantly being cut off and removed from your heart that's abraham's story so god brings us into this finished perfect work and and then he he circumcises the entire adamic man from our heart through the work of the cross through the seeing of the cross okay so that's what I see here in this land. It says, it start, I mean, in this, in this chapter, it starts off and it says, uh, the land was not able to support them both. I like that. You know, or they could not dwell together. There was strife between Abraham and Lot. See, I, I, to me, that's a picture of kind of like the, the, the flesh that we bring with us into Christ in our unrenewed mind. We don't really bring anything into Christ. I mean, not, not, not from God's perspective. But in the darkness of our unrenewed mind, we bring so much. We pack up our little flesh suitcases and we go on into the land. And and there's strife between the, the, the flesh lust against the spirit, the spirit lust against the flesh. These two are at odds. They're contrary to each other. The mind of the flesh is death. The mind of the spirit is life and peace. And, and, and you, you, you experience this. The, the land's not for both. It's only for one. And you start to experience this tension in yourself. You start to, there, there's, a, there's a war you know you you've been born of of the spirit and yet to whatever degree you don't see with his light and walk in his truth and live by his life then there is this strife there is this conflict and so he says in verse 9 uh i think it's verse 9 please separate from me here comes the division here comes the cross and lot seems to you know lift up his eyes and choose according to the lust of his flesh a place that is evil a place that ultimately is destroyed and 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 in verse 14 and the lord said to abram after lot had separated from him so after after lot had been removed from that land from his presence from trying to share the land with him then god speaks to Abram and doesn't tell him to go to a different place, doesn't offer him something that wasn't already there. He simply says, now that Lot's gone, now that this thing that doesn't belong has been removed, 
from from your view, I think you're going to be able to see even more of my view. Now that you've let go of this thing you should have never brought with you to begin with, now lift up your eyes from the place where you are. You don't have to go anywhere different, Abraham. You don't have to go to a new place. You're already there. But now lift up your eyes to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. It reminds me of what Paul says in Ephesians that that uh, by faith we are seeing the width and the depth and the height and the breadth of the love of God in Christ or something like that. I can't remember exactly what we're seeing, but it's something to do with something in Christ. <laughs> and uh, and it's it's and and then the statement as far as you can see. That's that's how far you experience it. I mean that's the measure to which the measure to which you see that land is also the measure of your experience of that land. Is that making sense? What I'm trying to say is that God has placed you in his son and yet if you don't know where you are and see what he has given you then you will walk in the darkness of the Adamic unrenewed mind experiencing nothing but the strife with Lot. But if you let him remove from you the things that don't belong there and lift up your eyes and show you where you are, to the extent that you can see him, you also possess him as an experience. Not not just as a, a positional um, uh, idea, concept. You know, The church is always talking about the things that we, we have positionally, but we won't really experience them until we die. And And I just want to say, good luck finding that in the Bible. You're not going to find it anywhere. All of the things that are now in Christ are supposed to be your present experience and possession in Him. And yet, if we don't lift up our eyes in Christ and begin to see where He has put us, the land that we have come into, the land that flows with milk and honey, the land of rest, the land of victory, if we don't begin to see by the Spirit's revelation, then we can be in Christ and still experience the flesh. We can be in the land and still see nothing but Lot and the strife between us. You see what I'm saying? So Lot... So, so then he arises and he walks throughout the land, and the land is, you know, the, the land is given to him fully, but the land is possessed according to faith. That's the, it's the same story; it repeats itself uh, hundreds of years later with Israel. The land was already given to them before they took one step in it, but the land had to be possessed by faith, and until it was possessed by faith. By the way, for anyone new, when I say faith, I don't mean belief; I mean the the. the the light or the, the, the mind of the Lord operating in the body of the Lord. The perspective that the Spirit works in the heart that causes you to see what God sees. Faith is not your mind believing things about God. Faith is the mind of Christ operating in his own body. Christ is the author and finisher of faith. Man is the author and finisher of belief. And so, by faith, by by. Abraham permitting God to show his view or work his view in Abraham's heart, he began to experience, he began to see this land. And it's that way with us too. It was that way with Israel. Israel owned the land before they possessed the land, if you understand what I mean by that. They owned the land before the land became a, a present experience and, and a daily uh, possession. In fact, they owned the land even when everything in the land was hostile to them. But only as they walked by faith could they basically watch the Lord drive out everything there and, and cause them to experience the fullness of their possession. Friends, it is the exact same thing with you and I. God has placed you somewhere, but naturally you don't know where it is. You don't know what it is. You don't know where you are or what God's done. And in your unrenewed, darkened heart, you have brought with you a million things that have no heavenly business being in that land. And, and, and so the cross, so the Lord must appear. 
And that's the story of Abraham's life. And so the Lord appears, and he appears again, and he appears again. And every time he appears, he talks about the greatness of the seed. He talks about the greatness of the inheritance. He talks about his son. And every time he appears, an altar is built, something is removed, and something is established, and, and, and the greatness of your possession comes more into view. Not because he's taking you to a different place. He didn't start in Israel and then, you know, head to uh, Florida, you know, to Orlando for a while. It, it got better. And then, and then from there they go to the Bahamas. It's not like that. It's, it's the same land that is possessed and seen by faith. So with Lot cut off, with forgetting, see, this is what Abraham had to do. He had to forget everything that was behind including Lot. He had to forget everything that was behind the cross. Had, that's what he had to do. And, 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 then, and then he could lay hold of everything that was right in front of him. And that's, that's what Paul says. That's, in fact, that's the one thing that Paul said he did. He, he summed up his life. In, in one statement, you know, here, here's this one thing I do, you know, he didn't say like this, you know, and is among the things that I do. This is the one thing that Paul was about, forgetting everything that has no existence in Christ, everything that the cross has cut away and put away, and laying hold of that which is before me, and in, 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 uh, in Greek, that word uh, before me is not uh, a future word at all. It means in the presence of or before the face. And so they, so, so Paul was already brought into the land, but he was forgetting the things that were outside of the land and laying hold of the things that were before his face. And that was how that man lived, leaving one thing behind and apprehending another. So... Um, I guess we're out of time here. We'll stop with that and